Hey everybody, this is the last time I'm going to tell you about Incomparable Memberships because we're doing something special this week. Go to theincomparable.com slash members and sign up. You can support The Incomparable directly. Members get lots of extras, including bonus audio, a bootleg podcast where you can hear our episodes right after they're recorded, and a whole lot more. And this weekend, we are doing the Rocket Surgery Film Festival. We did two other rocket surgeries that are just for members, at least for now, and those movies are Last Dance of the Devils from 1989. Moises Chuyan hosted that one, and I also hosted an episode about The Howling Horror of Dracula from 1963. That and much, much more. Lots of other stuff. We did an Empire Strikes Back commentary. We did a three-part Star Trek role-playing game. There's a whole lot of good stuff. Go to theincomparable.com slash members, and yes, two more rocket surgeries, but now... On with the show. It's not brain science. It's rocket surgery. This is Star Raiders. Yay! <laughs> Please insert cartridge. Blow on it first. <laughs> the Incomparable. Number 453. April 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable's Rocket Surgery, where we watch a really lousy movie, and then we ask ourselves why, and the bitter recriminations begin, and everybody accuses me because I chose the movie and vows never to be back, and yet somehow there are always people willing somehow to watch another bad movie the next time. That is the the circle of life as describing uh, rocket surgery. Anyway, I, uh, I, I have... Five people that I suckered into watching a movie based on an Atari game from the uh, exciting year of 1983 when the kids, they love the video games and they love the Star Wars. And what if we made a movie that combined both? And that brought us to Star Raiders, an extremely low budget Atari tie in that, uh, yeah, didn't go anywhere and is... uh, Mm, a, a movie that exists totally exists uh i don't know why it does but it totally does here to uh share the pain of seeing star raiders are the following wonderful people steve lutz i included you in the wonderful people this time i hope you're happy oh xylons destroy <laughs> do they, they won't do they yeah. very little you know usually the way it works is that they make a terrible atari cartridge based on a movie and then they bury it out in the desert and <laughs> they went the other way this time and for some reason didn't bury this movie out in the desert yeah. and i can't figure out why they did shoot some of it out in the desert it would be fitting if they they shot it on top of the et cartridges but i'm not sure the timeline works out for well that. they should have shot everyone involved out in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> that's really sure lobo i think yeah i think you're being unfair to well, maybe not to Claude Aikens. Anyway, uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Monty Ashley is also here. I'm, I apologize to you, too. Hello, wonderful person, Monty Ashley. I didn't know Atari 2600 games had cutscenes, let alone that there were hour and a half long versions of them. <laughs> Their graphics are about as good, too. So, Oh, is that a Zylon there? Or is it Dan Warren? Hello. All I can say is, you shall pay for this, Crandar. Why? Poor Crandar. Why? Always paying for things. What a way to go, Crandar. What a way to go. Erica Ensign, I don't understand why you're here. Don't either. Every time I'm like, I'm not doing another racket surgery. There's there's not there's not a good enough reason. And then there's always a good enough reason. Well, there's always a reason that I think is going to be good enough. And then I get here. Well, then I get to the movie. It's not a good it's enough not, reason. Mm, no. But never again, never again do I want to experience the pain of watching Super Mario Brothers and then not being able to actually record. So <laughs> I watched this gosh darn thing. So called darn it. I'm talking about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nobody wants to 
you know, flip off the back of the Atari 400 and, and just go to bed. You got to talk about Mis- what you just Misery saw. loves company. You're going to have regrets one way or the other. So. so it helps to process it together in a group. Let the yeah, feelings thanks. out. Uh, also here uh, subjected to this film is uh, Philip Michaels. Hi, Phil. Totally not eating pizza right now. Okay, good. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's that's at least somebody's enjoying this. <laughs> so Star Raiders, like this was a this was a legendarily good computer game on the Atari eight hundred and four hundred back in the in, in nineteen seventy nine. In the prehistory. Yeah, it didn't take much to be legendarily good at that point. <laughs> yeah. What it had going for it w- was that it combined two different kinds of gameplay. There was the flying through a star field shooting at Aliens gameplay, which uh, by Starfield I mean there were little white dots that kind of jiggled around on the screen. They moved. There was, there was a real sense of yeah, parallax. You know, it, 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 there was, and it was really exciting to steer your spaceship and shoot at stuff. And then there was also like a 3D map of the galaxy mode where you'd choose what star system to fly to, and then you'd have to like recharge at different star bases and all of that, which by the way explains why they blow up the star base after refueling in this movie because that's a thing you did in the game that was more exciting than the other kind of flying around game where you would just like buy things at one star system and sell them at another star system i do take that back that 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 was way more interesting than about half the interactions in this movie i'm not saying the movie was better than that game i'm saying the game star raiders was better because you got to shoot instead of i wish i would have played the game for an hour and a half then because i never knew that there was a game i just knew about this stupid oh yeah no it was a it was a a, they they may have used some of the graphics from the game for all i know well you wouldn't necessarily know that there was a game after even after watching the movie because there's very little i mean there wasn't much (laughs) of the game to begin with you know there's a grid and there's guys that look like ships from star trek and star wars that you shoot at check and there's star bases yeah okay (laughs) and there's (laughs) i mean the fact that it's based on a crappy video game actually makes makes things make a lot more sense but i think all the story might have been in the game's manual that's the way they did it back then because they couldn't put any of it into the game. So I think this predates the comic books that used to come with oh. Atari games, but that would have been a good place to start had they had one for they this game. They did do comic books in the Atari cartridge version of this game, which was a follow-up to the uh, to the computer. So it started on the Atari computer, and then it went to the Atari cartridge. I will, I will give you my little tiny bit of uh, Star Raiders trivia now, which is uh, our good friend Greg Noss, uh, was a uh, an Atari programmer and had written lots of games for the Atari and um, grew up in Southern California and apparently got invited to the Star Raiders. I don't know, premiere or a screening for for computer nerds or what it was. Oh, no. Of the game uh, really? or the movie? But he says he did not go. So I don't what? think he regrets mm. it either, quite frankly. I was going to say, Greg, mm. so Greg has still hasn't seen this movie. No, and of course we, not. We've been subjected to it. That seems hardly fair. And he didn't have HBO mm-hmm. is all I have to say. I asked Greg if he wanted to be on this episode and finally watch it. And let me get his direct quote here. Absolutely not, is what yeah. he said. So <laughs> It's very unusual for Greg to successfully dodge bad life decisions. And so... <laughs> That's it surprises me greatly that he didn't see this movie multiple times or was forced to for his work. I, I'm I'm at a disadvantage here because I, I never played the game. Um, 
No. Uh, here, here. And, but I'm glad I'm not alone. At, at least in the um the, the the first act of the movie is basically them explaining the rules of the game in painstaking detail <laughs> over and over again. I yeah, I am I'm probably the youngest person on the panel, therefore I didn't even know this was a movie. I think it had been buried in the mists of time by the time I <laughs> actually heard about the it. desert. Yes. <laughs> also possibly the desert. So yeah, uh thanks, I guess, for letting me know this actually existed. <laughs> the- the only reason I knew this existed was because my dad at his company had like one of those work parties where you have to bring in some random gift and you come home with some crappy thing. And he had like it was a basket that had like some some things of microwave popcorn. And this was like this was the late 80s or maybe even the early 90s. And it had some like random VHS tapes in it. There was like one that was like Popeye cartoons and Felix the Cat. And then there was this movie. <laughs> so. And I honestly, I still am not certain if I ever watched it before. The only reason I was here is because I was like, I feel like maybe I saw that movie. I know it existed in our home, but I wasn't sure if I'd seen it. And as I kept going through this, I kept seeing all of these scenes and being like, is that familiar? I'm not really sure if that's if well, that's familiar. All the like, Star Wars knockoffs bleed together a little bit. Exactly. I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. I, I'm still not sure if this was my first or second time. I don't know. The, the box art really stands out, though. Like I, they had the picture uh, on the on the website, and it's like it's just I don't know. Like why why that many giant heads? It just seems like too many. <laughs> I got the perfect experience because. Instead of using a sketchy version from the internet, I went to Scarecrow Video and got an actual VHS tape, and it's in one of those big plastic clamshells. Oh, yeah. The really puffy ones. So you got like a physical sketchy version is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I I unfortunately had to watch an internet uh, bootleg, and and I believe it was actually from Poland, and the (laughs) subtitles... We're a bit confusing, but um, but I think I, I I think I got the gist of it. Are you suggesting the actual plot made sense? <laughs> yes. It probably made great sense in Krakow. <laughs> yeah, that that moment where they they dodge the incoming fighters, and then there's an ad for like McDonald's in Polish. <laughs> Just all it all rolls together, really. <laughs> Big mock. Mm. I think a friend of mine had the the Burger King cup for this movie. <laughs> Which is really the only experience that I had with it, other than knowing that it was a game. Oh, again, is that it? Was it from the movie? Was it from the Atari cartridge? That's the great mystery of, of that's a good early eighties marketing. Is I'm unclear whether great this movie was marketed mystery. at all, but it does share a name with um, with a popular game. So I, I can't figure that out. I think I would have remembered the experience of drinking out of a cup with Claude Aiken's head on it. So <laughs> and mm. I feel like that glass might have come from a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sure it was Burger King. Well, well, that, no, that was the successful BJ and the Bear tie-in that they did. <laughs> you know, for a movie that like the title is already a mashup of like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you'd <laughs> think it would be a lot better. Oh, my perfect, God, they were shooting movie. high. It's the perfect movie, right? Star Wars meets Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> the, there is a marketing department somewhere that thought that was the case. And that's, you know, Judson Scott is basically Harrison Ford. Like, he's there, that, like, John <laughs> the Cipher of the film is totally He's barely <laughs> Delaware Jones. <laughs> Slightly creepier, honestly. Like, he's got that, like, I saw, I was looking at a picture of him, and I, he looks a lot like Killian Murphy. He's got that yeah. same mouth that's, like, a little bit Jokerish. Mm. Yeah, but Cillian Murphy has the sense not to be in the star of the action movie. Like, he's the weird guy that Batman beats up. 
Right, exactly. Except, I mean, but he's got like the blonde hair. You know, he's like, like maybe he could have been Flash Gordon if he just tried a little bit harder. Oh, <laughs> he's not quite as beefy as uh, as this. Who's the guy that played Flash Gordon? Sam, Sam Jones. Jones. Sam, he doesn't have the beef of Sam Jones. That's, that's, that's true. The Flash Gordon was a football player, so he had to have some beef. You're being don't yeah. body shame no. Sam Jones. Yeah, Justin on this Scott podcast. is a is a willowy, you know, space fighter pilot. He's got to fit right. in that little cardboard cockpit. You know, he does have the cachet small. of having been in Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan is Joaquin, so that's true. I mean, that's that's legacy right there. I understand his name is John, but I just kept thinking his name was Sven through the entire movie. <laughs> he looks like a Sven. That's all I'm saying. Sure. <laughs> Maybe in the Swedish version that's on some other pirate site that Phil will watch later. That would make sense. Oh. We keep referring to him just as John, but it should probably be pointed out that his full name is John Raider. Hence the title of the movie uh, but they spell it differently they do the r-a-y-d-e-r thing so you think like oh you don't immediately go like oh yeah raider yeah, yeah. it's the oh, same yeah. name you didn't immediately go to raider i mean i uh, but it's star raiders i'm john of the star raiders well they did say that his father had been a pilot before he was so maybe that's what they're referring to well that's between well, him that and princess too. sarah um right but yeah. maybe i should explain well, maybe yeah. you should. There's too much. Explain yourself. There is too much. I can't explain this movie, but I can, I can say that, that we begin in the... Uh, in the the Star Empire, which is fighting a horrible battle, <laughs> a really horrible with battle. The, uh, the Zy- I almost said the Zygons, the Zylons. <laughs> they're not they're not Zylons and they're not Zygons. But just they're to not, be clear, they're, they're legally not distinct. Sp- spray paint, or are they? But they are the Zylons, which is a you know high quality intellectual property. Oh wait wait wait! I got something for that. They can't be Krylon because Krylon doesn't run. These chumps mm, no. run all the time. Uh, <laughs> Burn on the Zylons. Anyway, a fierce battle. Uh, has been has been being waged apparently for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, the uh, the the our friend John we meet. He is a pilot. He is like a photocopy of Luke Skywalker. Like like maybe five pho- versions. Yes, like how pho- many photocopied how many degenerations? Yeah, there's some generation loss happening there. And one of those copies was of Hardware Wars, not Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he he we see him in an, a nonsensical space battle that appears to be using um, footage taken from pro- possibly other science fiction movies i do have to wonder were there any lawyers on the set or anywhere in the same county as the set because we've got we've got the star empire right mm-hmm. yeah that's not a ripoff of anything we've got the xylons we have uh-huh. the the shockingly similar ship designs to things that i may have seen before we have the very name of the film mm-hmm. i don't i honestly don't know how they got away with any of this stuff. it was the 80s and there were so many different kinds of of ships that looked like they were flying through so many different kinds of space <laughs> like yes. you'd see the one shot and they'd be like you know shouldn't change that much should it i, I guess <laughs> maybe directional the angle. <laughs> space is much more starry to the south i think Monty. <laughs> everything's so slow too you want you're like you really look at these like you uh, star wars has the dogfights and you're like you know what would be great is if these were slowed down and looked much more like they were shot against model backdrops just like a lot more that really sold it to me except for the couple that looked like they had an entirely different frame rate which were definitely a little bit faster <laughs> this episode of the incomparable is brought to you in part by expressvpn they will keep your data safe you do not want to be a victim of cybercrime. You also don't want to be stalked by your internet provider. Um, stealing data from people is uh, one of the easiest ways for people to make money on the internet as a bad, bad person. And public Wi-Fi is unencrypted. It's bad. Also, a lot of people make money on the internet by being giant companies that track you. And that can, includes your ISP. 
It includes your wireless provider. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, what you do on the internet can be vulnerable. But there's something you can do to protect yourself, and that is use ExpressVPN. It secures, anonymizes your internet browsing, it encrypts your data, it hides your public IP address. The apps are easy to use. They run seamlessly in the background of your device of choice. And you can turn on ExpressVPN protection with one click, and then you're safe. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I have used it. It couldn't be easier. One tap on my iPad, and I was secure. For less than $7 a month, you can get that same protection that I have. If you ever use public Wi-Fi, especially, and want to keep the bad guys away, you need to use ExpressVPN. Be safe. Be secure. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Snell. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting The Incomparable. So it should be pointed out that in this very first scene, they get right in there and get the game tie-ins involved. We get to see the star map in this very first scene, which you've seen it before if you've seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, is <laughs> Color Demo Soft from the Apple II uh, System Master Disc <laughs> oh, no. in all its glory. You'd think they'd at least use an Atari, Atari. for that, but it sure looked like an Apple to me. <laughs> That's yeah. the best part. It's not even an Atari thing. Oh, my God. So, the ma- yeah, so he, he is using the map. John is using the map, but there's a malfunction, and his ship is damaged, although not destroyed. Every other uh, Star Empire ship to be hit is destroyed immediately in a... Like a sparkler is lit and held in front of the camera. He, he is protected by the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. The mighty plot <laughs> ensures that he has to return to the base. Uh, he's lost many of his friends who um, there are like a series of voiceovers where there are other voices, but we never see anybody else. So those were obviously just dubbed in later because they didn't want to pay for other actors at this point in the movie because then they just kill them off. I do have to give Judson Scott credit, though, that, you know, he's he's not the worst actor in the world. And he seemed genuinely sad about uh, losing his friends in the scene when he gets when he gets back to the base. No! I was, I was, Especially oh. since all, all his friends seem to speak with different accents, but you could tell it was the same actor doing <laughs> yeah. different yeah. voices. I'll always miss you, guy who said, Corblimey! <laughs> Corblimey! He gets back to the base, and um, and that's when we get our, our plot, kind of, such as it is, kicks into action, in that he is taken to the command center, and the, uh, as Steve mentioned earlier, the um, mechanics, the game mechanics of it, this cockamamie computer game are explained in the in the movie. We see the, the map, the map went out the map is very important there's like the grid that you see of the star empire and we know where the xylons are like there are like red dots and white dots on the map and then uh and he is uh given a mission as the survivor of his unit which is to take princess sarah TV's Heather Thomas, I believe she was actually in the Fall Guy during this, They to take Princess Sarah uh, to safety. How did she find the time to do both? I, well, you know, you get your summers for... This had to have been an intensive uh, filming day schedule. Four days in Malibu. <laughs> and it's a real acting challenge for somebody who's used to being saved by Lee Majors to 
you know, look awestruck at Judson Scott. <laughs> this movie could have used Lee Majors. And, and I, I, re- I realize that it's the 1980s and therefore, you know, standards are different. But uh, the fact that every actress is wearing some sort of space bikini. Uh, it just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. Well, that's what like, I was going to say. Like, maybe they, the, the way she was able to be on both at the same time is they saved on costume changes because <laughs> she's quite true. Her, her princess, her princess outfit is a leotard <laughs> and some boots that are kind of crinkly. So they look a little bit like leg warmers. I mean, this, she looks like she just got out of space jazzercise. We actually this see movie. the space admiral's secretary on the command center and she's in a bikini and she's just taking notes. <laughs> Well, to be fair, they also saved on costume budget by just not using a lot of material, apparently. I mean, like, if you look at the, the men's costumes, they're, okay, they have more uh, fabric, but it's not, like, all that much more. <laughs> Shorts were really big in the 70s, I guess. It's also very tight. It's all very, the future has very tight costumes, is what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. There are surprising parallels between this and Star Crash. Caroline Monroe, I think, mm-hmm. might be slightly less clothed than Heather Thomas in this movie, but not by much. I mean, we're saying these uniforms are tight. Wait till Aikens gets on board. (laughs) I don't think that was intended to be tight, though. I would like to keep waiting. Thank you. Oh dear. So, all right. Yeah. So, are we are we done? Are we done? Can I move, can I move forward? With the... you, you can. By the way, did anybody figure out exactly why Sarah is a princess? Is that just like an honorary title, or is that her first name and her last name is Sarah? Because it's unclear <laughs> to me. Be. I mean, it's as if the movie is saying, you know, how Star Wars has a princess. Well, we totally do too. Anyway, take her away, boys. And that's. I feel that's like it. if I'm being really charitable, I just assume they are all using it as sort of a sarcastic title but that's reading way too much into it. Oh, so you think it's air quotes princess? Yeah, yeah. princess. Sarah, good going, princess. <laughs> well, this is a star empire and not a star monarchy, so it does not make a whole lot of sense. That's true. She should be an empress and not a princess. Well, like the daughter of the emperor could be a princess, maybe? I don't know. She I don't seems, they have a different name for that. She yeah. seems important. Yeah. Also, I will point out the, the confusion, the utter confusion of this Star Wars knockoff in that the empire has a scrappy pilot and a princess. Uh, instead of like the rebellion, so it's they've got that part backward. But I guess you know when even twist. the empire is better compared to the Zylons. Well, yeah. I I think every movie is a reflection of its times, even a, a bad movie like this. And um, very clearly, there are thinly veiled references that the Zylons are basically the Carter administration, <laughs> and where Claude Akins is always talking about malaise and, and really, and the fact that this movie came out, you know three years after the Carter administration and it really feels like spiking the football. Um, We're lucky they didn't have the leader of the Zalons be named Big New Brzezinski. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they didn't spend a lot of time really developing the Zylons like as a, are they a, are they a race? Are they a nationality? Like, there are people with like prosthetics poorly glued on their forehead. I mean, we should talk about the Zylons <laughs> well, a bit here. I, it's, it's strongly implied that they're robots, except, except when we, okay, I, spoilers for Star Raiders, but the nice man that they meet on the planet is actually Claude Akins is actually the emperor of the Zylons, which I have many questions about. Did he create them as robots and make himself the emperor? Is he a robot in human form, only just slightly less robotic than the actual robots? I have lots of questions about the Zylons. My headcanon was that it's somewhere in, in, in the mists of time. They actually like found him, I don't know, as a baby or something like that. And he's <laughs> sort of just been like raised by whatever the Zylons are and held not quite hostage but uh yeah i feel like he's not uh well he, he taught them wisdom 
and uh, that with their fighting force <laughs> made go. them made them deadly. Head cannon accepted. Mm-hmm. So you're saying he's Buddy the Elf? Yes. Yeah. <gasps> uh, sure. All right. Yes. Okay. Buddy the Elf, the Zylon. Okay. So, but with a with a tighter costume. We should probably talk about at this point the design for the Zylon aliens, and I put that in major quotes because robot alien, alien bots. What we? Mm, yeah. Sure. Go ahead, firefighter, astronaut. Just because they're silver doesn't necessarily mean they're robots. Well, like, like I mean, they're like the lazy robots, though, right? Like, they're basically, they are just people, right? But with, like, slightly weird-looking, like, forehead. Like, maybe they use some prosthetics, or maybe it's just, like, some form of tinfoil. It's kind of <laughs> hard to tell. Yeah, they kind of foreshadowed the star trek method of putting stuff on people's foreheads to make aliens but without any of the latex or makeup application skills so they just have like tinfoil it looked like just kind of taped there sometimes well, you spray you, you spray start by spray painting somebody silver which is not good for the health by the way and then <laughs> right. you tape you tape foil on their face buddy ebsen can tell you all about yeah, that man exactly steve are we are we living up to your expectations of our discussion of the fine industrial design of the xylon empire or whatever it is i mean you haven't really gotten across that the xylon uh the design is bad let's just say that <laughs> that wasn't clear from oh, sorry no. talk about the tinfoil <laughs> i mean yes. it sounds cheap uh, and cheap you got across perfectly well but it's just straight up it's it's really embarrassing it's, it's cheap inexpertly applied which is even worse <laughs> right yeah and and they're you know okay so the spaceships are basically uh, they may literally be cylon ships from battlestar galactica with the film flipped upside down it's kind of unclear to me what that is but then they, they look like somebody glued a bunch of model pieces like to, in random to like an actual plane somewhere <laughs> I think the only reason you don't see people cosplaying this as a, like a real deep cut at a convention is that even if you're perfectly screen accurate, people will still think you did a real crappy job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Because they're, they're basically True. wearing like a flame retardant suit or something like you get for a firefighter. And then there's there's like a person with stuff stuck to them. And then um, I haven't even mentioned the fact that there is a wide range of voice effects on these on these guys when, when we do hear them. So Sometimes they are very robotic and they talk like this. And other times, just like a, a surfer a with a, a deeper voice, right? So it's like, watch out. You know, the, like, what? The, 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 the audio engineer in this never met like an effect that he didn't like. Like, oh, reverb? <laughs> Let's try that for a little while. Well, oh, and, echo? And as we learned for the surprise Claude Aikens revealed, there's really no reason they have to have robot or surfer voices no. or different voices of any kind. They could all be incognito if they just turned off their voice module because Claude, he talks pretty much just like a normal human. Just like Sheriff Lobo. He shouts a little sometimes. I guess regular people do yeah. that. Never, That's never. true. That's Carry true. On. Yeah. It's not exactly an infallible Zylon test. <laughs> <laughs> Time for another break and another sponsor. I love this sponsor. It's Backblaze. Unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs starting at just $6 a month. I've been using Backblaze for the last few years. I have lost data in the past. It makes me very, very sad. But with Backblaze, I know that not only is my data backed up. It's backed up to the cloud, which means if something happens in my house, let's say, I've got a backup here too, but if something happens in my house, well, my backup is destroyed too, not just my regular data, but my backup. So having an offsite backup is vital. Also, if you're traveling somewhere and you don't have access to your data, guess what? You can use the Backblaze app and actually uh, access your backup files and pull them out of the Backblaze 
backup. It's super convenient. You can sign up for a 15-day free trial, no credit card required, by going to backblaze.com slash Snell. It backs up all your documents, music, photos, videos, drawings, projects, you name it. Anything that's important to you will be backed up. If you have a data disaster, they can ship you a hard drive with all your data on it so you can get back in action super fast and then send the hard drive back and you get a full refund on the hard drive and you know you're in good hands because Backblaze is loved and recommended by The Verge, Macworld, The Next Web, Lifehacker, Lifewire, 9to5Mac, you name it, they recommend it, so do I. Avoid that looming data disaster. Go to backblaze.com slash Snell for your unrestricted free trial and to let them know you heard about them here on The Incomparable. That's backblaze.com slash Snell. Go there now. Thank you, Backblaze, for saving me from data disaster and for supporting The Incomparable. So John Rader, our hero, um, and and pr- beloved Princess Sarah, who we find Princess out Sarah. she is she is. Let's see, how do we describe Princess Sarah, Erica? She's 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 uh, exactly what you would expect. A um, she's feisty. Uh, s- yeah, see, oh, I hate that word so much, but you know what? It, <laughs> it works. It works. Uh, yeah, she's she's a very stereotypical of the time. Uh, she's exactly what you'd expect somebody who is is wearing a poorly constructed bikini um, and a really weird braid. Yeah, that braid was like on the front of her head and then wrapped around to the back. <laughs> I, know. Well, I think it's what's the uh, the name of uh, Bib Fortuna? I think she's yeah. trying to. <laughs> no, they're, they're trying to rip off a of Bib Fortuna. Did this no, come out makes... after Jedi? No. Well, it came out the same year. So It, it came out the week before. <laughs> oh, man. So it was in theaters then at some point. It was people e- could... more than one theater? Like two theaters, maybe? I That's don't plural. know if I buy that. Who would pay for this? It was in. It was the one that they were going to let Greg Nossi it for free. <laughs> oh, that, I don't true. know. Well, this feels like the kind of movie, like Phil said, it came out like the week before Return of the Jedi. So a bunch of people just thought, well, this will last a week and then we'll just give all those screens over to Return of the Jedi and no one will remember this movie existed. <laughs> Maybe people will go up to the ticket counter looking for Star Wars and say, I'd like to see Star, um... And then, and then they like, just hand him the ticket. Yeah. And then blank out for the next hour and a half. Yeah. I think with the princess, they were they were trying to make her snarky and, and clever, and they just made her snippy and mean. And I, yeah, she was. And she's literally the only woman that has any speaking parts, because like the secretary you mentioned before, and like there's only one mechanic in the background <laughs> in one scene, which I noticed. I, um, I will say this for her being mean. There's that one scene when they're refueling, and she seems legitimately ticked off at everybody <laughs> around her. Yeah. I don't know if she's acting or just in a real bad mood that day. She, I mean, it. if she had to be in this movie, I would yeah, totally probably, sympathize with that. Probably well, the idea, the way this is supposed to work, and I've seen this in many other sci-fi movies of the time, if you have like the snarky female princess character, she's going to have some kind of an arc where she gets less snarky and, and feisty and awful by the end. Nope. She's going to soften a bit. Not in this movie. Uh-uh. No. No, we're just going to have her be unpleasant the whole way through. And she also, I mean, if you're trying to pull off a Princess Leia thing, like there's some snarkiness, but there's also some like charisma and some charm. And that is not present here. Like there's no, like you said, the softening, there's no chemistry either. Like they might as well be That's talking true. to cardboard stand-ups of each other there's no arcs in this movie because there were no arcs in the game because gravity was too hard to program there's something there it's my understanding um from reading the oral history of this that that the ringer did that they the director decided to film the movie in sequence so i think that is why heather thomas um gets 
visibly angrier as the movie progresses. <laughs> yeah. so I just had to take continuity. a week and a half off while you shot those stupid miniature scenes and then came back to the acting. I didn't want to mention the director because I feel bad. It's a guy named Victor Lobel who directed um, Max Headroom. He directed an episode of V. He oh. did say Saint Elsewhere. Wait, he did a lot of TV. In Super Mario Brothers, was he? He was not. He was not. No, he was a TV director that they apparently uh, picked up and had do this because they really liked his work on Tales of the Gold Monkey or something like that, basically, or The White Shadow. All much better things than this. Like, one episode of Tales of the Gold Monkey has so much more spirit than... Did he ever do any Fall Guy? Because maybe that's how they got such a good get in Heather Thomas. I don't... I don't know. No, he did. He did some Trapper John MD, but I don't think he did any Fall Guy. Uh, boy. Oh, Gregory Harrison would have been great in this. Wayne Rogers would have been great in this. Anybody else? Nobody would, would have been, been great in this. I'm going to go <laughs> the other way. Nobody, legitimately, Fair. nobody. All right. So they 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 take their ride on their spaceship and they're going to uh, this planet that's supposed to be like the protection planet. I'm unclear whether it's protected because it's well protected by the Star Empire, or whether it's like a. Um, like a neutral planet it's never really made clear but it's their destination she will be safe there that's what we are told she will be safe there the guy do we know why they do say at one point there are no star bases in systems so she'll be hidden there which like mm. i've seen the map roughly 70 percent of the map has no star bases in it so it's well, not a great explanation but this is the nicest <laughs> of all those planets because it's the most lo- like uh like that looks like lancaster or palmdale in los angeles county <laughs> which is almost certainly where that part of the movie was shot so uh so they go off um with their very loosely defined mission and you know then if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to sit in a cardboard spaceship with two uninteresting people for a very <laughs> long period of time that's what happens next for a while where they they argue and they talk about the the again we get a little more of the background of the essentially manual of the video game and the space politics between the Zylons and the empire there's not yeah, a lot huh. here I, I started dreaming about trade routes and trade yeah. federations the during this info portion. dump is what it is I'm certain if I could have paid attention during that it would have explained a lot of what I think are plot holes but <laughs> I didn't care, and I didn't pay attention. It's always good when a blockbuster science fiction movie spends a lot of time with just two characters talking statically on a set that's supposedly a spaceship. A car Yeah, the camera didn't even move. I'm looking at you, Phantom Empire. Locked it down and walked away. Yeah, but there's that dynamic sound background where there's like a telephone buzzing and an occasional <laughs> beedoo, beedoo, whoosh, beedoo, whoosh, beedoo. Whoosh, whoosh. So you're totally flying through space. They did have a couple of flashing lights. I will give them that. I, uh, I maybe it's just in comparison with all the cardboard. I really enjoyed the flashing lights. Well, but eventually their <laughs> long conversation is interrupted by uh, asteroids, where we get our exciting scene where they dodge, they swerve around an asteroid. Um, oh, that's a game they should make a movie out of. Which is clearly made of styrofoam. Sure, that's been that's been spray painted, probably with the same spray paint they used on the Zylons. It's Krylon. <laughs> well, they they bought it in bulk, Steve. Krylon doesn't rust. What are you talking about? I mean, Zylon, Zylon. Yeah, that's it. That's what they're called, Zylon. But do not leave them out in the rain because it will not be good for the uniforms. So the they they reach the starbase after having dodged <laughs> dodged that asteroid, and <laughs> I guess the asteroid? asteroid was right outside the starbase because they're immediate. Like they dodge the asteroid and then it's like cut to we're at the starbase. Like was the starbase behind the asteroid? Yeah, like yeah, that was like a defensive it. measure. It has to no. be stated how hilarious it is that there is one asteroid that they dodge. <laughs> Any other sci-fi movie would throw like an asteroid, like field a belt, at you. right? Like a belt but, of asteroids. Surely you could get six or seven big. more chunks of styrofoam and spray paint nope. them, but no. 
We're satisfied with just the one. You know what's better than like like twenty small asteroids? One just really big asteroid. Like that's but it's clearly not even that better. Big. People have seen a ship fly through an asteroid belt and dodge them. It was an empire. What people haven't seen is going around one asteroid. So we're gonna really make a meal out of this one. It's really an asteroid dodging a ship when you think about it. Yeah. The yeah. asteroid does not want to be in the movie, you see. It has that in common with the rest of the cast. Wouldn't the Starbase like send out a message? Guys, there's an asteroid <laughs> passing by right now. I assume that's what the blue bloop was in the spaceship, was the asteroid warning. It's the issue that all the sci-fi movies of the era have, which is like they don't really think in three dimensions because like the game itself was basically two-dimensional, right? It's like, oh, you could go above a star base or below us to nope. There's only one way, and it's through that all asteroid. Right. You know, that and the sexism, both of those. Those are the two issues. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Lack of three-dimensional sing- uh, thinking and one female character and who's lack of three-dimensional, three-dimensional characters, characters too. Yep, <laughs> jinx. Oh, High five. boom! <laughs> well done, well done. Okay, so so we're at, we're at the um. Space Station now, I believe, which is essentially the exact same set as the Space Station in the beginning. I think they moved a desk or two. Sure, and the camera angle is slightly different. It's like, yeah, they reversed it, essentially. Mm-hmm. That was to show the stultifying effect of modern... Uh, no, no, sorry. I was thinking of a good movie. Go around. <laughs> that's that's the, the issue with having your good guys be part of the Star Empire, because I think they brought along some of the understanding of the Empire from the Star Wars films, where everything is kind of Spartan and, and uh, you know, industrial design everywhere. And, and presumably there's kind of a stultifying, uh, you know, atmosphere to life as an Empire pilot and... You know, if you're going to take your good guys and put them in the Empire, maybe you ought to change up the Empire a little bit and and make it seem like, you know, they're the good guys. Because here they, they don't. Yeah. So everything yeah. is utilitarian both on both sides. And it's it's frankly hard to tell whether you're looking at a Xylon uh, environment or a Star Empire environment. It should also be pointed out the Xylon's also an Empire because Claude Akins is our emperor of the Xylons. Yeah. That was confusing to me. Like, there were too many empires in this film. They felt like, oh, mm. you know what's great? You know what's better than one empire? Two empires. Let's double down on that. Not only are there two empires in a well-constructed movie, you can tell what kind of ships are facing each other. Like, X-Wings look like this, but TIE Fighters look like this. But in this movie, it seemed like every shot had whole new ships on both sides. So I never knew what I was looking at. He got to the space station, and we see the hangar, and there's a pretty nice drawing of... Of what <laughs> looks like and I've never seen any of these ships in this movie and I never will see any of them for a second I thought oh no the Xylons are here no they took no. they took like they took a drawing from like a cover of a science fiction magazine or something or like a fan fan art or something like that and they used it as their as their backdrop it looks like yeah hey man can we just take a picture of the side of your van for our movie <laughs> <laughs> at, at several points in the movie i counted at least three times that this happened someone refers to the empire and another character goes wait which empire <laughs> almost as if the screenwriter himself were confused and needed to remind himself who he was i wonder if the about. director put that in because yeah. he was confused <laughs> or, or perhaps judson scott was actually confused about what the dialogue was <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of budget to reshoot things. So they're just like, nah, go with it. He does have a look of determination that looks a lot like he's daydreaming. <laughs> I was going to say befuddlement. Like, it just looks like he's like slightly confused every time about whether or not he's actually in a movie. He's yeah, just got like resting yeah. huh face. So yeah, now, yes. we've been complaining about the movie um, 
uh, having the interminable stuff that got us to this point. But this, for me, this is the part where the movie stops dead. And ironically, I think they inserted this whole thing in the space station because they wanted to show us like a cross section of Star Empire society. And so, right. you know, okay, so they, they, they need to repair the ship because they swerved around an asteroid and apparently that caused damage. I don't know. And they need to refuel. So well, they got to refueling because it's in the game. And this is where we get the one uh, female mechanic just yes. in the background. Yeah, yep. she's, she's in there. She's mm-hmm. doing like giving a thumbs up and, and attaching a hose yeah. to and yep. in, in her space bikini of course yeah, yeah. 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 because they're showing that's... something that's actually in the game they're going to show you every last detail of the refueling process because yeah. that scene takes like two minutes that's yeah. why you go to the movie is to see the refueling of the spaceship in Star Raiders see, that might be why Heather Thomas seems so mad to me because they had that little exchange where Judson I mean John says <laughs> Princess Sarah there's something I need to tell you and she looks at him and she just goes what <laughs> and she's gritting her teeth That's way more. That's their snappy romantic uh, that b- banter that they're trying to do uh, there. That might have been yeah, the best line of the whole movie. That works the best. Yeah. Well, just just when you feel you're going to die of boredom, we are finally introduced to the star, the real star of this movie, Rebor. Oh yeah, the the Rebor, Rebor the robot, the wacky zany robot who's going to give them the tour of the space station. He's the best character in the movie. I was hoping we wouldn't have to talk about him. At least it's clear that Rebor is a robot, unlike the. That's true. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. He is the only definitive <laughs> robot in this movie. Although he is cardboard and various parts of a bicycle, he is a robot. <laughs> I mean, what that says robot to me. And clearly being pulled across the set by like a small rope at one point because it's clear uh-huh. like you, the, the wheels were not uh, not turning the way they were the way they would have been had the bicycle been working. I could see that rope on my VHS copy. Steve Rebor is Rober spelled backwards. So his beer spelled backwards. <laughs> Which is even better. Yeah, sure. That's great. So, Rebor is there? Is there? I guess tour guide. Is he paid for this? Is this his servitude? To, to I don't think robots get paid in this universe. I'm going to go out on okay. a limb here. So he, he's the, he's he's told to show them around to the other set in this space station, which is where we can see the delights. There's like a fruit cart. There are a couple kids playing. There's there. two other sets, Jason. There's that hallway. Okay, the classic of sci-fi films, the fruit cart. I think that hallway is actually a matte painting, though. So I don't know if. It's it's a counts. space station, Steve. So- it was as if they saw Star Wars and said, the cantina scene, you know what's really great here? Not all the creatures that are here, but the fact that people are drinking and having a good time. Let's show that. Star Wars had the, the cantina. Um, you know, Star Trek had that bar where Guinan hung out. Yeah. Star Raiders I, has a fruit cart. Fruit cart with alien yeah. fruit, all of which is fruit that you could get at Ralph's. <laughs> basically. Yeah. 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 In 1983, yeah. people didn't know about... Kiwi fruit, yeah. fruit and tangerines. Yeah. Kiwis. In the future, bananas will be overly ripe. <laughs> and blue for it's a green banana. What? Some call it a plantain. <laughs> alien. Rebor, at least, is fascinated by the alien fruit because he talks about it for at least another 30 seconds before we well, move I, on. Do you get the feeling that he can't eat fruit and like he's really jealous <laughs> about it? Is that like it. he's upset? See, I just figure he gets cut in for a percentage of all sales on the station of the people he's leading around. He gets like a, like a percent of of sales. Do not try to give Rebor an internal life. He is the worst. <laughs> this space melon is exactly like your musk melon. It is a musk melon, Rebor. Come on. 
I hate Rebor. <laughs> oh, come on. Rebor is showing John the, the, the many interesting fruits, which gives Princess Sarah a moment to break off. And we get Heather Thomas a little bit of a, a moment where she's not glaring at Judson Scott so that she can... I don't think she knows they're filming. She stares blankly at two children as they play. <laughs> and that goes on a while, too. A little too long, if you ask me. Like a little... In creepily this, uh, too long they're space children what I mean, my yeah, well, uh, this is my question is are they trying to get something across here are they is it like her is she longing for for children or for normalcy or for a life a suburban life with john raider where they can just have a bunch of kids <laughs> or is she just worried fruit? someone left their kids unattended <laughs> i assumed those kids were related to somebody but they are not listed on imdb presumably for their own it's, protection. yeah I, I, it's got to be <laughs> yeah. like a producer's a producer's kids because they don't they, they don't do anything they don't really have any dialogue they're just kind of like in the background playing with their space dog who is like you know a dog <laughs> right with like like two antenna glued on yeah top it's of got his a head. collar dog. i don't know is it are those antenna or like a is it like a breather collar or something but it's just a dog it's, it's i don't know a dog i i i checked the end of the credits this did not have one of those no animals were harmed during the making of this oh, no, animals thing. are definitely harmed <laughs> in this movie for sure over on battlestar galactica they're doing a robot dog by sticking a chimpanzee in a suit yeah, that's so. right no, it's just a dog with a funny collar. It's good that we have the kids because generally when you're going to show a star base or a starship of some sort, you're going to have some guys in, you know, uniforms or or somebody walking around in the background to make it look like, you know, this is a really li- real living, breathing star environment. And there's like three extras and and the same guy walks by at least four separate times. Yeah, yeah. There's three extras, like the fruit cart guy. And there's the la- and there's the like sta- snake charmer lady in the corner. Oh, there's another lady for you, Erica. There's uh, okay. the snake charmer lady in the corner. There's no snake, yeah. right? She's yeah. just doing like a belly dance thing. There's one guy carrying like what looks like an old ice cream maker. The I'm guy not with the mustache. Sure. Yeah, I don't think he was supposed to be on set. <laughs> he <laughs> he did the look crew, like he they just, just drafted up. the crew. <laughs> oh, I think it was an accident. I think they caught him in the camera once and said, "Uh oh, we better have you walk through <laughs> several more times to justify it." Just here, hold this ice cream maker. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> looks futuristic whatever <laughs> anyway <laughs> um th- there's not more time to stare blankly at children and peruse fruit because the station is under attack Aler- oh no alerts go off and and we get finally at long last the thing that i've been waiting for this entire movie which is the voice of the space station the controller of the starbase <laughs> appears on a screen alerting everybody to get to the escape hatches or fly yeah. their fighters or and whatever. Who is that? And it is John Carradine, the beloved voice of bad movies everywhere. And the reason that I really chose this movie, John Carradine, uh-huh. it's from his oeuvre. And it is, again, he may not have been very well. It's He's a dubbed in face again. <laughs> like in so many movies in the 80s where he just appears yeah. and and it's very much one Did of those rambly get him some sort of bulk deal yeah, like a rambly frankenstein island deal yeah he i think he may have like shot eight movies in a day just like in his hospital bed or it's something. possible he shot one movie and they just divvied it up <laughs> among eight movies yeah. somebody gave him three pages of nonsense the, star, the and... star base is under attack everybody must flee take care of your children what's next <laughs> I haven't seen any of the other John Carradine movies that you guys have watched for this, but I thought at least Mm. just based on hearing the podcast, I feel like here he's better served because he's just supposed to be the the computer controller guy. So like, you know, he's you don't expect him to to have a body or anything like you only expect to see him on a screen and you don't expect him to interact with anybody because he's literally just on a screen. It's like they saw the master control program in Tron and thought like, oh, that's too much emoting. Like, let's try it. Let's dial it back a bit. 
I, th- I think the problem I had with it was um, there are some moments where they're doing ADR work, and he's very clearly uh, reading his lines over a phone line. So <laughs> I wasn't a fan. How can you not be a fan of Carradine saying completely meaningless things? It's just it's it's it's, it's, it's wonderful just to see. Alert him. level orange. Yeah. Go to sector seven. I don't know where is sector seven. Is it near sector? You're six? sure this will pay for three <laughs> bottles of whiskey? <laughs> yeah. All right. Has the check cleared yet? Okay. Clearly, they gave him some scripted dialogue in his pseudo Shakespearean thing that he appears and and at a moment of great turmoil when people must immediately move to their stations, he gives a rousing speech about why they must go to their stations. Right, which starts with citizens of the Empire of Stars, which is not even what the Star Empire is called. Isn't he just talking to this one star base? It's poetic. (laughs) Well, they're all citizens of the Star Empire slash Empire of Stars. Exactly. Maybe that fruit subject really subject to listen. Star Empire. Really. I have entered your podcast. You will stop making fun of my movie. Jason, what really gets me about this part, you know, so the space station's under attack, whatever, and it's like we're like halfway through this movie, and it's only now that we like introduce the character of Crandar, who is supposed to be this like really important foil that John has had this whole time, but like we're fifty percent through the movie, and this is literally the first we've heard of this guy. Yeah, they shoot. They yeah. shoot out of the space station, uh, and and it turns out that there is a Zylon commander um, who is Crandar, who we uh, uh, we get to hear over the telephone or whatever coming from <laughs> another spaceship, and he is going to destroy the space station if they don't provide Princess Sarah. Now, little does he know that that uh, John Raider has already flown off with Princess Sarah. Ha ha! Um, but he he demands that they. Produce Princess Sarah, or um, they will destroy the space station. And of course, in a tragic moment, uh, lots of really nice fruit and a couple of kids are, and a, sna- a snake charming lady are destroyed when the when the uh, space station is exploded by Crandar, which leads to the big moment, right, Dan? This is your big moment. Yes, yes. You will pay for this, Crandar. <laughs> you just cannot be a fruit cart vendor in a movie, even if you don't think there's going to be a car driving through your cart. Something bad. That's going to happen. At least uh, Robier or whatever got Rebor. to get off the station with. Yeah, Rebor. Rebor. Sorry, uh, backwards, forward. Rebor. Robier. At least he got to go with John and Sarah worst. on the ship on the way off, so we didn't Rebor like... Rebor would prefer you remembered <laughs> his name. I, I, I would have preferred Rebor to stay behind, but alas, we were Rebor, not... Rebor, if you had a snoot, I'd poke you in it. Well, as we learned shortly, Rebor's not the only one that's aboard. We'll, 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 uh, we'll get to that in a minute. They, they still have their dramatic escape. Dra- dramatic. Yeah. Is it, is it dramatic? They basically, they're like, oh, well, I guess they're going to blow up the space station and they go through their pinwheel hypnodisc well, hyperspace. It was clever to hide behind the asteroid, though, right? Because it's like <laughs> the only thing there. It has a very tight orbit. In retrospect, bad place for a starbase. Yeah, I think, actually, I think you're right. The asteroid must have been the reason that they didn't get caught, is that they, they knew to swerve right around it. Mm-hmm. And then they hit the hit the gas on the hyperdrive or whatever, which, re- again, yeah. looks like a hypnodisc disc or something it's just like a pinwheel of, <laughs> that was of, pretty cool that was actually i think that was my favorite part no, of the whole it entire like movie vomit green though it's so disgusting i like green i like green too but it looked it was like neon it was just totally out of keeping with the rest also, of the color space palette. doesn't isn't that color people space isn't that color How, yeah. maybe it is in the star empire jason but we <laughs> do right. get the, the very cool hyperspace star field effect here and by very cool i mean rendered by something with less power than the 1979 atari 800 yeah. computer uh render 
is a strong word, Steve. I didn't have an Atari 400, but my friend did. And I remember seeing that effect on his computer. I was like, oh, that's way better than my TRS-80. It's an amazing <laughs> screensaver. I keep expecting somebody to say pow and then see like stuff flying out from the sides. <laughs> It's not good. Oh, um, it boy. actually looks to me like they drew on the film. Like they had, they hired some guy to draw stars on the. That's called. I mean, that's how they did special effects. I don't know. Uh, that might have been better. <laughs> cut two because seriously, there's a hyperspace jump, and then cut two, a planet, and our uh, our heroes are wandering on a beach somewhere <laughs> that they have washed up. There's, no, there's really literally no rocky. I, I believe beach. it's Zuma Beach outside of Malibu. How does Rebor like Rebor is barely able to stay upright on the sand? But that we, was such we, a we, bad idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I they, think if you look closely, you can see somebody like pushing him gently mm. for well, like just out to. of frame. His feet are wheels. Which I mean, who designs a robot with with wheel feet? Yeah, and takes his space bikini is now you know climate appropriate. Mm, for that's a true. Moment. That's true. That so they're, true. They're, they have landed on a planet. They crash landed. This is a deserted wasteland. There is the there is a beach, and they have a they have a couple of conversations there where Princess Sarah says mean things to John Raider because that's pretty much their whole relationship. Whoever wrote this movie. Um, I'm going to just predict n- did not have healthy interpersonal relationships. <laughs> it seems <laughs> likely, safe. certainly right. not safe after this movie. Um, and and this is so. This is this is the moment, Steve, when we discover our uh, that that our our friends John, Sarah, and Rebor were not alone on the spaceship. Well, I mean that they've clearly landed here because they don't have any idea where uh you know this planet they're supposed to get her to is because although the sector is on the star map they don't know they they don't have the exact coordinates <laughs> i want to emphasize they spent 10 minutes talking about how great their star map is and they can't find the one place they're looking for it's infuriating because they're on it they're on it it turns out that this is the right place to go because the plot demands that it be yeah, how yes, but who tells them that when they return to the ship dejected because they don't know where that where they're supposed to go why, it's the disembodied head of John Carradine, whose AI oh. has been loaded aboard their ship while they were refueling. This is where this, this part serves him less well, because, because <laughs> it made perfect sense for him to not interact with anybody when they were still on the space station. But now that it's like supposed to be an yeah. AI, is that, is that how it's supposed to be? That he's like installed himself in the, the ship? They clearly have to write around all his lines being super awkward and nonsensical. Yes. Though. Like, that's the worst part. It's basically like early like a space ghost coast to coast sketch where it's like <laughs> yes there's like well, every time he addresses and... them he calls them citizens of the empire of stars <laughs> sure. which is yes. i mean yes. obviously they only had like five lines recorded of him i mean his his preferences are stuck they tee him up for everything he's pre-recorded which is amazing to watch if you go back and watch it a second time oh, why would you that? watch no, this a second time it's because i love it's like a rocky horror picture show audience interaction thing mm. john says i wonder what sort of sand this is and then there's a beat and then you hear john Carradine say the sand is poisonous don't eat the sand citizens of the empire it's like i can't believe john's not like yeah i wasn't gonna eat the sand dude listen we're using every second of what we have of Carradine. say mm-hmm. the line judson and when they, when they finally run out of Carradine dialogue of course that's when the spaceship conveniently explodes because of water or something i don't really 
really understand Water it. is very dangerous. I'm worried that eventually we're going to watch a movie and John Carradine is going to die on screen during <laughs> it. <laughs> that may have happened here. Mm. When did he, yeah. <laughs> he actually die? It's possible. It's possible. Oh, no. So with it, with their AI, so John Carradine, it's good, great they bought, brought him with them, um, the, but the, unfortunately the ship has now exploded, or has yeah. it? We'll just put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> they, they, they wander into the desert waste because the, apparently the beach is next to the desert of course there's not you know when, when i mean sand it's a continuum of sand yeah, yeah continuum right continuum of sand is it not just the same beach but the camera pointed no the I, other direction it looks it looks like they moved from malibu to like lancaster or palmdale right, or something right. like that mm, yeah sure i respect that they took a van ride they took, yeah they got in the van they went to a different scene and they're in the desert waste and there's the, there's like a good two minutes where they're arguing in the desert waste instead of arguing at the beach that was a nice change of pace and she keeps trying to trudge trudge away from him through the sand in those obnoxious shoes that are not like they're they're not good on a space station they're not good on a beach they're not good anywhere they clearly should have called him trudgeson scott basically (laughs) yeah no uh (laughs) basically john raider is the only one who can actually walk in this part of the movie because yeah we've got stilettos and wheels (laughs) i really really wish there would have been a foot race between heather thomas and rebor (laughs) (laughs) she probably would have been better off if she would have just tried to ride it <laughs> like the bicycle that he actually is. No winners. Um, so they're, they're, you know, they're arguing in the desert. Uh, who doesn't like that? She, she like slips and falls and you know pick, takes off one of her shoes I don't think and that throws was it at him. To happen. Oh, you think that was that was not a, a a damsel in distress fall? That was a I stepped on a rock fall. Uh, and and the, the director's like, well, <laughs> we've got it. Let's yeah, just we, we don't it. have money to reshoot. Fits with her character. <laughs> All right. Yeah, she's just clumsy and has <laughs> impractical shoes. Not, well, not yeah, not, not clumsy. Impractical shoes. We are blaming the shoes for that one. Sorry, Heather. Not your fault. It's, it's again. It's like somebody watched the scenes of C three PO and R. R2-D2 walking across Tatooine and was like, yeah, that's good. But like, again, what if there were less chemistry and really less of a point for them being here? Yeah. And what if C-3PO were in stilettos? And a bikini. Yeah. How do no, we I, would, I would watch now that. We're and Luke was there with them. <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly what this is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's like Tatooine the movie. Uh, so in that the distance, so much. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Jud- Judson Scott spies something that we do not see because it does not exist because that would have required them to <laughs> show us something. But he sees something in the distance, and they uh, they walk to it, which is basically just another shot of them walking in the desert, followed by a dissolve, and then there's like a palm tree. Um, but this is this is the big moment. This is our welcome to Fantasy Island moment, where at long last we meet a kindly old man out in the middle of the desert who is surely not threatening at all played by our sheriff lobo claude akins and uh mm. and th- isn't it nice that this kindly old man has his little mission style stucco branch house in the middle of the desert where there's a palm tree because it's, it's a very practical house yeah, it's yeah. not suspicious at all yeah rebor gets to he's got like a you know floor where he can roll around and and uh, <laughs> it's great can I say my favorite thing about Claude Aikens yes, real quick? Yes, please. He played 10 different roles on Gunsmoke. <laughs> Was any of them Emperor of the Xylites? He had a it long and say. storied career. There was a Marshall Clint Tucker. This is not a part of that long and storied career. No, no. My, my, first, um, my first newspaper job out of college was in a town called Idlewild. Uh, California, where uh, Claude Aikens actually retired to, and you'd see him around town. And um, did you ever ask him the, about this movie? No, no. That was the thing that people would say. Hey, if he, you can, you can approach him, and he likes talking about his career. Don't ask him about Star Raiders. 
<laughs> Ask him anything. Yeah, Love Boat, Star Murder, She Wrote, it's fine, Fantasy yep. Island. To Inherit the Wind, he loves to talk about Inherit the Wind. So Fantasy Island is the one that I keep coming back to here, because this is, uh, either that or this is like a, uh, we, we, it's like almost we turn into a horror movie here, because it's basically like, you know, please come into my home, and then there's like this awkward conversation about the, the war, and you know, how do you feel about the Star Empire and the Xylons and all of that, and, and you know, there's like... I did not expect a dinner, an awkward dinner scene. Although I guess Empire Strikes Back also has an awkward dinner scene. So well, maybe it's the black for the awkward dinner scene. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we, of course, Claude Higgins does not introduce himself as Emperor of the Xylons. No. He is actually the old hermit Tandor. He's, yeah. he's just Tandor. Yeah. His Emperor Tandor, which I guess nobody on this movie, in addition to not having any lawyers, apparently nobody had ever eaten Indian, Indian food, food yeah. either. <laughs> Ironic in that Claude Akins explains every course that they're going to eat at the meal in, in <laughs> oh, excruciating detail. Well, each part of it came from a different part of the Star Empire, and he's very proud of it. We even get to see some fruit. They actually eat some of the fruit in this scene. <laughs> it's too soon. Too soon. And Rebor loves that part when they bring out the fruit. Rebor <laughs> yeah. goes, oh! See, guys? Tangerine. It's like an Epcot Center tour of, like, the Star Empire, which is a little a little strange. But he also, speaking of the name, like, Tangerine. It's like they like the writer had like oh Tandor Crandar whatever we're just gonna go with names that kind of rhyme <laughs> Rebor. we don't really have a lot of Rebor and John and, and Sarah, John. And, Sarah. John. John. And, Sarah. <laughs> and Princess Sarah yeah, well, don't forget oh uh, yes yeah. uh, okay so dinner uh, you know it's a great time we learn about we learn about galactic politics that are all made up and stupid and don't make any sense and by which you mean we all get a good nap they lock <laughs> the camera down and there's a little bit of techno babble thrown in there it's well, lovely right here, here again is that anti Carter administration stuff where they talk about boycotting the space olympics it's really yeah, well, just out of left field the, the idea you know i i always i took it as more of a soviet kind of thing but you know yeah there there obviously uh, what happens over the course of this increasingly awkward dinner is that claude akins reveals that he's got uh you know he's he is a has sympathy for the Xylons and he begins questioning their uh, reasons for hating the Xylons. And sympathy for the Xylons is my favorite Rolling Stones yeah, sure. song. <laughs> you, you know, some movies start with a really boring text crawl that nobody reads. I wish this movie had done that because. <laughs> Then maybe these scenes would have been shorter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, if these scenes were any shorter, there wouldn't be much movie left. Okay. <laughs> Listen, if you were expecting a movie called Star Raiders to have a lot of stars and rating, well, you're going to be disappointed because we uh. spend a whole lot of time on this beach out in the middle of uh, the, the west coast of the United States. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, and and in Claude Akins' Desert Hacienda. They could have called it My Dinner with Tandor Ray. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> was there any of this in the game? Like the plan? No, <laughs> like there were the no beach? humans of any There's kind in the game. There's, There's not a dinner spaceships. scene. I would play a video game <laughs> with a dinner, dinner scene. scene, though. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, awkward dinner, and they, and then like he says they they can rest here, and that there's a there's like a, a transport that's coming later in the week that they can get they can get passage on. Like he's super friendly, but also super creepy, and it's very clear we're supposed to think that. But of course, then in the night we we have that scene where well, where no, a, the scene, that scene is my. My second favorite part after the the vomit colored <laughs> technicolor <laughs> technicolor hyperspace, uh, but but the fact that it's rewar that's rolling around in the middle of the night for no good reason and accidentally like you know because Tandor has got that like big long captain robe type thing and rewar accidentally like rolls over it and pulls it off him and he's wearing that really obnoxiously tight uh, Zylon 
type suit. <laughs> but he's clearly not a Zylon because he doesn't have the thing on his forehead. But, so I, I'm still confused about exactly what he yeah, is. All that's it. missing there is him saying, like, let me slip into something a little more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But it's clearly a Zylon uniform. And I think just one of the uniforms somebody else was wearing earlier in the movie mm-hmm. that they said, this is all we got, Claude. Yeah, no, it was not Claude's size uniform for sure. Yeah. Also, this, oh. there nothing, there's nothing sneaky about wearing your Zylon uniform under your other, like, <laughs> garment, right? Just don't wear well, it. I, he's that's perfectly sneaky. He's that committed mm. to the Zylons that he's always wearing a Zylon uniform and then he'll put something else maybe on top it's of it. Part of his, maybe we're <laughs> supposed to think it's part of his body. Anyway, Rebor does, yes, Rebor is, because he is a robot and doesn't need sleep, is apparently roaming around the house, it is exposed to Claude Aikens uh, <laughs> on natural, re- re- basically. Re- phrase Claude that. Aikens is exposed to all of us and, in unfortunate uh, ways. And, and then basically, you know, you cut to the next morning and, uh, and Rebor is gone. Rebor's, they've, they like they don't know where he is we get we now we get another scene it's the looking it's the looking for r2d2 scene right where they have to go out yep. and see if they can find rebor rebor who's obviously wandered away oh boy and i will uh. just if you if the listeners would like to imagine this scene stare at a rock and then <laughs> go like this it's funny too because at tandor's house or the emperor of the silence whatever the hell he is like there's there is like clearly a dune buggy but apparently (laughs) it was not functional or they couldn't use it on film i think that belonged to the owner of the house where they shot the movie dan (laughs) yeah y'all can shoot but don't touch the buggy yeah they never it never shows up in the foreground i think that just accidentally ended up in the shot yeah yeah, it's just, it was at the I house. I thought it was a space dune buggy. I was really excited for like <laughs> 10 seconds there. Well, th- there is nothing attached to that dune buggy to make it anything other than a regular non-space dune buggy. So I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Maybe just, maybe uh, the Emperor of the Zylons is really into dune buggies. I mean, these are people who had obviously never heard of tandoori chicken. So maybe <laughs> they had never seen dune buggies before either and thought they were strangely exotic. I don't know. Yeah. They do. They finally do find the remains of of Rebor, who is basically oh. just rest in peace. Oh. Rebor was laid down in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and it's at this point that I am a hundred percent on Claude Akins's side for the rest of the movie. Yes, great job, Claude. <laughs> yep. Rebor well looks done. even jankier, like at this point than when he was actually moving. Well, it's he's really disassembled, sad. and it feels kind of like the director was so tired of working with Rebor that he just took a hammer to him or something. Well, Dan, you say disassembled, but in fact, isn't it just that they've covered the middle section of Rebor with sand, so it appears <laughs> yeah. that there are two parts? He's tipped over oh, and then covered with little. sand. If yeah. you look at the box yeah, art, maybe. you can see that they have had to reassemble him after this scene, <laughs> and his arm didn't make it. So there's some tape around his arm in the box art because it got broke for this, and then they said, oh no, we need a promo shot. I felt particularly bad because I always loved K-9 in Doctor Who, the little mm-hmm. robot dog, and the the producers and directors and actors didn't like working with him either, and he got very shoddy treatment in, uh, in a lot of the stories because of that, so I was... I was Team Rebor all the way until the bitter end. So you really identified with with uh, Sarah because Sarah is the one who obviously shows emotion. She goes down on a knee. She's <laughs> she's sort of like touching oh, the robot and saying, you know, maybe you this know, is I'm, a canine reference. I'm, Princess Sarah I, it makes sense. Oh, ooh. actually, Sarah Jane was never with canine until until uh, um, uh, until canine and company. Well, what, well, 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 it was before like, this though, wasn't it? So uh, she's she's sad about the Rebor. death of Rebor while while you know John <laughs> is not. Why I, quality acting happening well, here? I think honestly. 
honestly, uh, Heather Thomas has better chemistry with the robot than she does yeah. with Judson Scott. <laughs> yeah, so. this was almost right. touching. Yeah. yeah, yeah, almost. I don't think Judson Scott really has chemistry with anybody in this movie. Rebor is a dynamic character, and he's a decent actor too. That's what I yeah, don't but, understand uh, about it. I don't, I don't know. I like he's yeah, he's just slightly he's miscast. Like this is not his role. I don't like think. his chemistry like, with uh, Ricardo Montalban in Khan is superb. I think he's yes, better in, in things that are not terrible. Is my <laughs> okay. way of fair. <laughs> The desert scenes are almost over, uh, but first we no, have to they're have not. We have this to, goes on forever. Well, okay, but that's the, like we have the big the turn here, which is the moment that Rebor is discovered. Apparently, Claude Akins has been I don't know watching them or something because the moment they discover him and and we have that moment of sadness of goodbye, Rebor, and uh, and then like pew, what? Pew, pew, Think pew. about what you just said. <laughs> I was sad, Monty. Sorry. I was sad. Sorry, Princess Sarah was sad about it. Nobody okay, else right, was. That Rebor was gone, but Princess Sarah was good. His his uh, his his wheels they spin no more. You know she's sad because she doesn't openly mock him. <laughs> pew, pew 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 pew. The lasers, the lasers, the the lasers. We never see, but there's laser sounds. You so presumably it, they're being fired at. I think they might have had like one little puff of sand or something. Do you think they were planning on adding laser effects to the screen, but forgot to or ran out of money or something? That the pen dried out after they finished the star fields. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. We hear a lot of pew, pew, pew. And there's little and they puffs. That like, they like put little explosive yeah. caps or something to like puffs of sand go up. But there are no like traditional <laughs> sci-fi lasers at I, any point. I guess to be fair, you don't actually see lasers going through the air unlike Real Genius or Star Wars. So maybe this is a realistic movie. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's more accurate. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, just like the asteroid density. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So obviously, they're, the act of discovering Rebor has has led uh, Claude, Claude Akins to uh, to try to have them killed. And we're led to believe that there are lots of Zylons in the dunes that are firing at them, but you sure don't see more than like two at a time. <laughs> That's a good yeah. point. I mean, see, these two—they're probably pretty supposed often. To be. <laughs> yeah, they but. pop out from behind this dune in exactly the same way at least four times. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I think it's the same shot, Monty. What? <laughs> yeah, and this goes on a long, like way longer. They, they, they like. If this had been fifteen seconds, it would have been okay. But it's like a Maybe. minute of just pew pew pew. Get, get down. Pew 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 pew. Here's a, <laughs> so a bit, little bit of brush to hide behind. That'll totally stop a laser. Pew pew pew. It's like this scene was written by watching two eight-year-olds play spaceship <laughs> in the backyard and just writing down everything they said, including pew pew pew, and then deleting all the good parts. Right. Sadly, they stopped before we could hear Princess Sarah say, you didn't get me. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the the big twist, which is, of course, that uh, their spaceship as piloted by A.I. John Carradine, not destroyed after all, and swoops in uh, leading basically the the silence to stop firing i don't really understand that like no a ship is here we must not fire and it uh and and john carradine like radios to them well okay ai ship radios to them and says <laughs> i have repaired the ship citizens of the star basically han solo I, I don't think you you really get across the delight of that line when you say it that way it's i have repaired the ship <laughs> I repaired mm-hmm. has like four syllables it's fantastic yeah yeah well he's gonna make the most of his big scene where he saves everybody so he's repaired the ship there's like a look there's like a swoosh sound and then again i have to point out cut to 
they're entering the ship because we don't ever see the outside of the ship. There is no outside of the ship. It's just a little model. Whoa, metaphysical. So, yeah, it's all interiors, man. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so so uh, the day is saved and they plot a course for back into uh they they use the map of course because again it's like product placement they pay good money for that map they're at they're already at their destination well this is the this is the big the big reveal right they plot a course with the map and it turns out that they actually are where they're supposed to be it's a trap and that's when they're hailed by claude akins who reveals himself of course now in this last moment his caftan has been removed and he is the (laughs) he is just wearing his (laughs) ill-fitting suit as the emperor of the xylons and we get uh we get to learn and he's having no voice effect at all no he's just claude akins but he demands that uh john uh hand over uh princess sarah and that she won't be harmed which i don't really understand um how that could possibly they, be because they, they were shooting why, why at them they, i mean yeah and why do they want her it's never really made clear he had her last night she was sleeping peacefully <laughs> we saw a shot of her sleeping but she didn't know that he was but, the emperor. Okay. Yeah, but he knew she was Princess Sarah. <laughs> True. Yeah. So that was the first thing she said. She walked in and said, literally, hello, I'm, I'm Princess, Princess Sarah. Sarah. Yes. I think he got... Okay, here's my headcanon. I think Claude Akins uh, gets off uh, pretending to be a guy who's got a hacienda with a palm tree and like <laughs> toying with these people who are his enemy and being like, oh yeah, tell me about the politics. He's kind of interested in what people think on the outside mouse. of the Xylon Empire. Like, what do you think about it? Do a little focus group, do a little research, toy with your prey a little bit. Um, but no. then the robot murder gets in the way and kind of ruins the whole thing. Is, is it possible that Claude Akins just insisted that they film this at his house because he did not want to leave the house <laughs> you think that's has got thing? a dune buggy i like it <laughs> this is not a good trap basically well why do you radio them and say oh by the way i'm the star emperor and you need to give me your you know the xylon emperor or you need to give me the princess, me or, princess. or else like why well i don't know i mean like why? i mean you know then two minutes later like crandar shows up again and like they're are they are they in league with each other are they fighting are they well, different like, works, factions? yeah i think crandar works for claude akins i think that's the okay, idea okay. there is that, okay. is that he's like it's it's unclear they don't do well, a great I mean, job the, of the doing only that. way it makes sense that he didn't immediately capture princess sarah is the fact that he's Claude Akins and probably isn't going to win in a fight with Judson Scott. So maybe he had to radio in more Xylons, but if this was supposedly a trap, then shouldn't they have already been waiting somewhere nearby instead of having to, you know, hyperspace in from some other sector? Wow, you've thought about this movie way more than I have. <laughs> I'm impressed. Did you watch this twice, Steve? Uh, I did. I always uh, watch these films twice. Yeah. I'm not sure why I do that, and I may stop after this one. Yeah. But <laughs> I didn't understand this sequence at all because it all this stuff that we just described happens so quickly it's like maybe three and a half minutes from john carradine's ship coming to save them to xylon emperor claude aiken saying give me the princess to now 15 minutes of pew 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 pew, pew space battles Do well i ever- mean and we spend like five minutes in the desert too right like it was a super long time in the desert wandering around looking for rebore yeah, and, they- and then like everything that's like plot development happens in like two minutes there's 20 yeah. minutes of boredom punctuated by two minutes of incompetent uh pew 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 sounds my, yeah, my notes stopped like three scenes earlier than this so i barely <laughs> even remember do they ever explain why the ship is suddenly not exploded by the way i have repaired it repaired <laughs> Yeah! We heard an ex- 
explosion. He was very clear about that. Admittedly, off screen, we heard an explosion, but we hear explosions all the time in this movie. <laughs> that fruit cart made an explosion. Yeah. It might have been one of those invisible explosions, like the invisible laser blasts mm-hmm. that happened earlier. No, it was just a, that was just a, a, a ruse to make them think. It's like in the Wrath of Khan. Where uh, they say, yeah, it'll take two days to fix Jason, the Enterprise. do not compare this movie to a good movie. <laughs> do you think that was AI John Carradine making exploding noises to try and fake him out? I think <laughs> that ship's novelty horn, instead of La Cucaracha, is a ship explosion. Kaboom, the ship has exploded. Uh, all right. <laughs> now now we come to the moment that everybody has been waiting for, the grand, grand finale. Oh, boy. And, so grand. Uh, so, yeah, oh, boy. So, so they, they are going to be destroyed um that's going to happen now the 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 Crandor and the and the Zylon emperor and everything they they are closing in and this is the moment where uh princess sarah has her uh mind blowing revelation to that she shares with john raider which is we've been staring at the stupid star raiders map this entire thing and she says john we have to go beyond the map and that is <laughs> It's just like a map is just a representation of space. It's not, but she, but it's like in, in her world, in this world, the map is literally the entire universe. So but they no sent, one's ever been beyond the map. So they Jason. sent the little mm. square to not on the map, and yeah. they go. They enter the the vomit <laughs> hyperspace against. Mm-hmm. They again. They finally realize it's a three dimensional universe, not a two dimensional universe. What if we just go above the map? You want me to go north from a one? That's a Thomas Brothers joke. All right. Here be monsters or really boring movies. Man, I wish there was a monster. And and then the the this the movie is leads us into something I can only like most charitably describe as their homage to 2001. <laughs> Incoherence is not an homage. Well, I mean there's there's lots of flashes of nonsense. Fair, I'll yeah. agree. Agreed. You marvel when Stanley Kubrick changes light filters, but when I do it, I'm incompetent. Well, I mean, there's there's some very bad animation and possibly some computerized stuff. Might be Apple Colorsoft again going on in the background. There were a couple frames that I would like to think were from the original game. They should have been, <laughs> right? It's, but it's 100% clear that, that the, the model of the spaceship is just suspended in front of a screen that is displaying this stuff because there is a distinct shadow of this model down in the bottom left corner of all of this craziness. I didn't think they needed to do a giant superimposed heads of Judson Scott and Heather Thomas at this point. <laughs> they don't like have the, box, me the as, box art. The, they they oh, see yeah. the, the, the guy who sent them on the mission and they, they see Claude Akins. They see John Kerry. They see the fruit cart guy. They see they the see Rebor several Rebor, times. like floats up in front yeah. of them and then <laughs> just goes away. And it turns out Maximilian Shell is inside. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is clearly yeah. their, their homage to the end of the black hole, right? I mean, or possibly 2001. It's, but it's, all, it's all mixed in together. But it's like, it's basically they, they have extra film and they're going to show it all here at the end of the movie because that's how sci-fi movies end. And so they go beyond the end of the map. Which is, again, I, I like their moxie. It doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. boring and stupid. But then we discover that Crandar has, has jumped out with them somehow. I don't know how he knew where on the outside of the map to jump. Maybe, Maybe there's only one or something. outside the map. 
Well, it was really just an excuse because, like, what we learn is that they can go beyond the map because they clearly have some sort of special undefined power. But the second that Crandar, like, <laughs> joins them beyond the map, he just, like, explodes, basically, yeah. which I did not see coming. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that must be, like, the thing is that they jumped safely and he tried to follow them and got caught up in their whatever, in their wake or whatever, and then he exploded. Because, yes, he he appears enough time to go, Raider! And then, this shit explodes. And it's like, why? It's such a end for the guy who was supposed to be their foil. Maybe the, most, yeah, right. maybe the most competent character in the movie, to be honest. <laughs> the exploding is a generous description, too, because they could not afford an exploding well, it's effect. It's like an so aluminum like, can crumpling. Yeah, there's a can. Yeah, there's some crumpling. There's like a like a pinwheel, like firework thing. I don't yeah. know. It's, I, you know, I feel it's like not the idea best. here was that, that at some point, Crandor was going to... Uh, like phase in after them and they were going to have an actual uh space like battle fight. which we haven't yeah. really seen much of in this movie other than at the very beginning nope. and then they they turned to the guy who made the styrofoam asteroid and said all right we got to do a space battle and he said uh i'm out i'm your styrofoam <laughs> guy that's all i'm i'm in this thing one for. of the producers came in and said guys i looked it up a movie could be as short as 65 minutes <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in the rule book, and there's and and there's only one le- with Crandor dispatch. There's only one thing left for this movie to do, and it is the biggest cop out of all, which is they say, "Where are we?" Of course, Princess Sarah says to John, "Where are we?" And he said, "I don't know, Sarah." And then we cut to a picture. Of it's Earth. Planet it's Earth, people. It's Earth. Spoilers, it's Earth. Yeah, it all, it's always the Earth, end. right? <laughs> but Or is it? Because now there will be lots of star raiders on that planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do, him to do was turn to the screen and say, guess we're going to have to go raid some stars and give us <laughs> finger guns or give me anything. Nope. Nope, nope. That, that would require this movie to be much more self-aware than it actually is. I think if Star Raider is to be remembered, um, and I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> if, it, if it is to be remembered, it did kind of invent the post-credit uh, stinger. Because um, if you if you stick through the credits, and again, not recommended, there is a scene where um, a strange alien is looking out over the Earth and, and on the intercom, someone says, yes, you will go find... Uh, John Raider, and you will you will get revenge for what he has done to our people. Yar, and that and it's obviously <laughs> setting up the next movie in the 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 the, the trilogy. But I, the Atari Cinematic Universe. Did the video the, game exactly. have a sequel? Yar, mm, by the way, mm. in the in the canon of the game, Yar's Revenge, a robotic insect. So. Mm-hmm. That's mm. way outside that's, the realm of what these guys can put together. That's why we never actually saw Yara's face. We just saw a gloved hand. Is Yara a thing? I, oh, I honestly yeah, don't know what Yara is. Atari game, Yara's Revenge. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. amazed that they didn't manage to actually spin off like the merchandising rights for this because like a reborn action figure, come on, that would have done some good business. Here's the irony of, about this movie is that um, this movie came out before The Last Starfighter, which treads very similar ground and that it's about the kids love the video games and the Star Wars. And that Atari actually was slated to make a Last Starfighter game. And apparently, the story goes, the Atari executives watched a screening of The Last Starfighter and said, mm, no, no. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I like The Last Starfighter. Is that Robert Preston? How are no. we going to work that guy into this? 
We're not making a Music Man game. So they took the last Starfighter <laughs> game and they renamed it, and I'm not kidding here, they renamed it Star Raiders 2. <laughs> so it all comes back around to Star Raiders. In the I, end. I do want to call out one thing about this movie, which I was astounded to see when the credits rolled, which is that I did notice as we were watching it that like the score for this movie is not half bad. And it turns out that that's because this is a very early effort by Alan Silvestri, of all people. Oh my like, God. He, this is like a year before he did Romancing the Stone and really started his like Bob Zemeckis like partnership and I kind of feel like it's good that this movie like something got out of this something escaped the event horizon <laughs> of this movie and made I life. remember seeing I, here's, here's the thing I think I saw this movie a lot in my memory there was a whole summer where HBO basically showed Under the Rainbow and this back to back so I, I believe I've seen this a million times but no scene seemed familiar. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm still not sure if this was the second time or the first time I saw it. It was it like, is the first time and last time that I've yeah. seen it. I don't know how you could uh, see this movie and not remember, I have repaired it. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, you pay for this, I'm sure I blocked it out. Frankenberry, I've repaired a relationship. <laughs> really, aren't all the John Carradine rules Dracula? Really? Uh, effectively, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, one parts, of them's parts Frankenstein, of so no. Yeah, that's true. Okay, fair. <laughs> fair, you got me with your Frankenstein and trivia and all of that. Well, come on. He was technically Dr. Frankenstein. Yes, that's true. No, the monster was <laughs> oh boy. someone else. Uh, so what have we learned? I, once again, I've learned um, not to go on rocket surgery. Not to watch movies mm. you tell us to watch. Don't listen to Jason. That's, that's it. Yeah. I am shocked that video game adaptations were bad from the very beginning. I'm not shocked by that. No. <laughs> I mean, certainly recent ones have been absolutely terrible, but this is primordial and it is it is not good. It is, so is it, I mean, is this better or worse? I think this is I think this is worse technically than Star Crash, but not as kind of enjoyably goofy as star crash this i think it's less ambitious than star crash star oh, yeah. crash thought yeah. they were making a good movie and i'm pretty sure nobody involved here yeah. was under that delusion and, and they went to italy right <laughs> this is just so, la back someone was really excited that like oh yeah video games are the new thing and we're gonna get on the like you know on the back of that and like make a killing and they didn't really think it through i think this is like asylum but earlier this is the equivalent of Atlantic Rim and the day the Earth stopped. Yeah, so I I believe so. This this movie is technically a Warner release. Um, Warner is a real movie studio, but this came <laughs> as they were selling off all Are of you the sure? <laughs> selling point, off all the I'm parts not. of Atari. So it, it you know I don't know this. There's nothing there's nothing research wise for me to say this, but my guess is that they. You know, they they thought better of it. Like they had this movie planned, and then they realized that the video game craze was ebbing, and they were going to sell off Atari, and and they didn't well, yeah, want to have any deep part in of the it. The heart again. of the video game crash here. Yeah, yeah I'm like, amazed they got as far as finishing this film because honestly, I mean, the signs were there for a year or so before this even came out, and it only ended up on H HBO, like Monty says. It only really ended up on HBO, which was owned by Warner, right? So that they they had a place to dump it for free, basically. And I think it never got anything but a VHS release, and is essentially forgotten now, rightly so. Quite frankly, yeah. I don't know why we <laughs> I viewed it on that stupid uh, whatever you know streaming video site where it's posted because uh, it's. Uh, it is forgettable in almost every way. Well, I mean, there are, there are 
there are glimpses of good bad in here i mean there are ridiculous things rebor jumps to mind uh rebor and john carradine buddy movie i mean i'm in for that that would be great absolutely but so much of this is just them walking around on the beach you know when they're staggering through the desert there's kind of a Spaceballs quality to it. <laughs> I don't think that was on purpose. But Monty, you, Monty, you keep giving this movie way too much credit for like self-awareness and like parody. I don't think it I is. I don't think it was on purpose. I have to wonder, though, if some of... I never really realized it, but I don't even know if portions of Spaceballs were based on this ridiculous thing. God. Oh, my God. Because, I mean, Princess Sarah and Princess uh, What's-Her-Face from Spaceballs they're, are they're, not dissimilar They're just copying attitudes. the same movie <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe i don't know yeah i stand by my hardware wars reference because yeah. all right phil that was a better made phil film. do you have any final thoughts about this one none at all um, <laughs> I, I i i think we've we've we, we've pretty much covered it if i hadn't have seen it i'd have said you were, were making it up yeah but I, i've seen it so there you go i would rather see a movie based on breakout quite frankly <laughs> Ooh, oh, now you're talking. Well, that would just Starring be a prison, a prison break movie, wouldn't it? Yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Like I do, yeah, pretty much any other Atari game. Miss- Missile better. Command. I cannot believe that Greg Noss turned down a chance to see this in a movie theater. At least mm. he would have maybe got some popcorn. Adventure, the movie. <laughs> Starring Judson Scott as an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> and Heather Thomas as created by Warren Robinette. <laughs> they just go in a special room and she's there. <laughs> Wow. Good work. Very nice. Yeah. 80s, John Carradine. Uh, Again, my apologies to all. Uh, I saw what I wanted to see, which was John Carradine as a disembodied head flying a spaceship. That's all I wanted. That That says a lot about you, Jason. That's all I wanted to see. And the fruit cart was a bonus. I didn't even want to see that. No, I wanted to see that. And I will always have some room in my heart for Rebor. Oh, Rebor. Good old Uh, R.I.P. Rebor. Yeah, he's dead in the desert somewhere, but oh well. How did they not bring Rebor back? Rebor was I mean, reborn. Cheesy, there's oh, got to be a reborn. reborn. <laughs> well, we can I'm only sure hope. he would have been in the Yars Revenge movie. Yeah, but, sure. uh, there you go. They would have. Yeah, they finally would have explained that plot thread. All right, uh, I I think we've done enough about this terrible, 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 infinite terribles movie. I would like to thank my guests for breaking it down with me. Hmm. Eric Ensign, thank you. What? <laughs> Dan Warren, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think my favorite part is really at the end where Justin Scott whispers quietly, you have paid in full, Crandar, and then just clenches his fist. Poor Crandar. Monty Ashley, I have repaired you! (laughs) You know, those lights really did flash a lot. (laughs) Philip Michaels, thank you. Enjoy your fruit, humans! And Steve Lutz, uh, R.I.P. those two kids, I guess. Or maybe they escaped. I don't <sighs> and know. And the fruit cart. I'm only sad that the ships use fuel and not some sort of power crystals so I could hear uh, the disembodied head of uh, John Carradine say, The power! The power! The power! The power! The power. You know, he was... Once from, again. I have repaired the power. I have I'm, repaired I'm, the power. I'm pretty sure they got a restraining order to prevent him. Yeah, you wouldn't that. want to do that. Also, I think that movie was made later. Anyway, it doesn't Oh, matter. citizens of the Empire of Stars, I have repaired the power. <laughs> I seem to be turning into Sean Connery. <laughs> to everybody out there, uh, I just want to say thank you for listening and don't even try to watch this movie. You don't no. want to see it. Nope. We have done enough damage just exposing you to what don't, happens don't even it. Google it, man. No, do not do that. Anyway, that's this episode of The Incomparable. We'll be back to talk about something less terrible next week. I guarantee it. I don't even know what it is. I guarantee it. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. 
All right, then. Okay. <laughs> At what point do you tell them this isn't a real movie? Never. Or, never. <laughs> no. You, you gotta right. wait at least a day or two for people to try and figure it out. The problem with being the person who summarizes the plot... <laughs> you have to make it all up. Good. You have to be the one that comes up with the plot. Yep. You know, it's funny because, like, it's one of those things where, like, seemed perfectly sensible as you were talking about it. And then in the way that a stupid, terrible movie like this would seem perfectly sensible. But I, wor- I just have no idea if we went back and listened to it. Like, do we come up with really good plot threads and totally forget about them? Halfway well, no, through? I think it's perfect for a film like this because yeah. yes. these films no generally make no, you know, they don't hold together particularly I, I also- well kept writing down things you said ah, smart. Yeah, so smart. that I could work them into the plot later. Right. I wasn't sure if I should have done like taking. <laughs> oh, there's a Krandar apparently better bring him up later. Yeah. And Erica was like, Oh, and there's that lady who does the refueling later. And I'm like, Oh, refueling lady. Okay. I'm going to do yeah. that. And then I got to the end and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to end this. And I was like, I, and I just wrote down beyond the map. <laughs> that was great because the, oh, that's they talked about the map so much that the map. Steve, I appreciated your where they with the with the realizing that they weren't behind like they weren't alone on the ship. <laughs> like and then Jason were going, oh, that's when they discovered that they weren't alone on the ship. And I was like, oh yes, that was a plot thread that we talked about. I like yeah. that because Steve, in my opinion, clearly wanted somebody else to say <laughs> yep. what they discovered, and we all just left him hanging. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, well and I, we I gave it a little it. time and then I said, And this is your part, Steve, where we find out they're not alone. This was your idea. Well, this is very similar to how rocket surgeries generally go, where I announce something that I find particularly delightful and nobody else did. And yep. so when that time comes around again, it's brought up and I bring it up and no one sounds very yeah. excited about it then either, and uh that's how this thing works. That was why I decided to be the only person who hated Rebor. <laughs> I'm always, always a robot. Always. Yeah, I had that moment where I was like, okay, well, they've got to go get refueled because the uh, Starbase always blows up after you refuel it in the game. That was something Greg Noss told me. And you said that they were going to get refueled by the lady. And so I had to work that in. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, what do they do on the space station? And that's when I was like, okay, there's got to be a cute robot and some kids, right? And then I didn't even need to suggest the robot yeah, because Steve, I, I wrote it down and then and it was already there. It was beautiful. Thank you, Steve. Yes. By the way, I said Grebor initially, so you might want to clip that G off the front. Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't hear it. It sounded like Rebor to me. Yeah, I, I, I forgot and I thought his name was Robeer because you said something about beer later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Robeer is Grebor spelled backwards. And then, uh, and then the, the, there's a fruit cart. I don't know why. The fruit cart's my space favorite fruit. part. Yep. Space fruit, like tangerines. <laughs> I don't think what we described is any more incoherent than our description of like a Frankenstein Island or whatever. No, right. I think because right. the movie's incoherent. Exactly. And this would be too. <laughs>